Welcome, everyone. It is another Friday, which means another episode of Money Mythbusters. I'm excited. Episode nine. Nate, you need a drink yet? Are you ready for this uh, another Friday episode? So ready, especially with all the <laughs> fires going on here in the Bay Area. It's been, a, oh. it's been a challenging week mentally, but we're hanging in there. Yeah, absolutely. Hope everyone out there is staying safe. Uh, of course, if we're saying being inside is difficult. I'm sure if the, you guys are actually being affected by the fires, you guys are having a much more difficult time, and hopefully you guys are staying safe out there. Uh, we are just getting a little stir crazy. That's all. No, no big deal. We can handle it, right? And so, sure. uh, happy to everyone's be, safe. Yeah, happy to be on Facebook with you guys, uh, talking a little bit about another myth that we have. Now, for today, it's going to be a little bit different. It's not. Uh, necessarily about investments or uh, uh, taxes, right? We're switching gears to a little bit about uh, education savings, right? And so something I've thought about, we've got a two-year-old, so it's something that we've been putting away too, but there's a ton of questions out there about education savings, the way to do it. Now, we're only going to focus today on one part of education savings, which is 529 accounts. Now, that tends to be the most popular way to save. I'm not saying that's the only way to save to education, but one of the most popular. So our myth today is going to cover the thoughts around, hey, I should be using all my 529 funding right away. Or contrary to that, some people are saying, I don't even want to save to 529 because I want to make sure I get all the right grants from schools, right? So before we get into some of those myths, I wanted to talk a little bit about as we're coming to you from a stream, what we're talking about here is for educational purpose only. Of course, we don't know your personal situations. We can't provide specific uh, financial, uh, personalized financial advice for you guys. If that's something that you guys are interested in, please reach out to us, uh, Diversify Capital, our new name, by the way, really excited about that, uh, diversifycapital.com uh, to learn more about how you can schedule a call with us and, and how uh, over time, you can broaden your education topics with the boot camps that we have. In addition to that, uh, anything that we talk about from an invest investment related perspective isn't something that we're soliciting for you to buy. Again, we're just trying to teach and, and educate you on that. And same goes with taxes. The last two aren't as much of what we're going to be discussing today, but on the tax side, again, right, tax preparers, tax professionals are your best bet about where to answer some of those specific questions. All right. Episode nine, we're going to talk again, 529s. Nate, is it the best way if you have 529s to immediately spend all of it, right? Um, and, and we'll talk about also, you know, should we be saving to 529? Like, should I be waiting for that to not uh, save because I want to get grants? What are some of the thoughts that you have on those myths? Yeah, let's maybe just back up for just a quick second. So 529s, I mean, the biggest benefit for them is tax-free growth, right? Mm -hmm. So you're talking about your two-year-old she has 16 years before she goes. And so tax-free growth can be very powerful. But if you're watching this particular episode, chances you are, you already have a child that's nearing college age, right? So just to go off script for just a minute, one tip that I always give to my parents with kids that are maybe in the early stages of high school, uh, don't tell your kids how much money you have saved for 529 accounts. I think that's something that I personally actually got affected by, right? My parents told me, hey, we can afford $20,000 a year for you to go to school. So what colleges did I look at? The ones that cost $20,000 a year, right? But who knows? Maybe Stanford could have been a great path. Not to say that I'm not on a great path right now, but still, <laughs> it could have been a better college experience perhaps. So I didn't even bother 
looking at Stanford or UC Berkeley because they were out of the price range knowing that I didn't want to take on debt. And if you don't tell your child how much you have saved, let them take the control of what school makes the most sense for what I want to learn. Uh, how can I, as the child, pay for my own education myself? Go to the financial aid office myself and come up with a plan so I, as the student, can pay for it and don't assume mom and dad has anything. And then have your child come to the bank of mom and dad and see how much they can help with. I think that approach, that that flip of the script is really helpful for a lot of our clients that have gone through that stage. Now, to get a little more specific to this particular webinar, uh, I think there's so much confusion around when do I take the money out? Do I have to wait and then repay student loans? Do I have to submit you know, receipts to this online portal and then the 529 then issues the money to me? It's a lot easier than that. It's actually on an honor system right now. So as long as you take the money out of your 529 account and you spend it and sort of reimburse yourself actively for the expenses that you're paying for, it's on you to keep that accounting to make sure that in case of an audit, you can prove that it was in fact to pay for college costs in the year that you spent that cost. Now, one caveat to that, and that's the recent SECURE Act that President Trump passed at the end of last year introduced an expansion of this. So up until that point, you had to use 529 funding when you had expenses. So when you paid tuition, when you paid room and board, when you paid those renewal plans, you had to take the 529 funding out at that time, at least during the years of college. You couldn't wait after your student had graduated and then reimburse yourself for student loans and things. So that Secure Act actually changed that to allow you to pay back up to $10,000 worth of student loans with 529 money. I think what they had recognized is that a lot of people had 529 money left over that mm -hmm. wasn't being used. And so now you can use that to repay those student loans, but it's just $10,000. And it also applies to any siblings that, that or other children that you may have as well, $10,000. And that's on top of the uh, change that happened a couple of years prior where you can also now use uh, 529s for the first $10,000 of private tuition costs of K through 12. So mm -hmm. as you can see, they keep expanding on how and when you can use these funds. Um, but for the most part, you have to recognize it has to be used during the time that you're spending these things. Don't keep 529 money in there forever. But I think what we're going to hone into in just a minute is also more specifics around, okay, if we're talking a four-year education, do we use it freshman year? Do we use it senior year? Somewhere in the middle? And so I'll turn it back over to you, Alfred, to talk more about that. Yeah, no, and, and, and look, I think the mechanisms that you described and like how 529 is, is used is, is, to your point, confusing, but it is more straightforward than that. In fact, I think the setting up of a 529 account a lot of times, and this is a little off script, is also confusing, right? Because sure. you have like state plans, is it deductible and, and all these different ways that you can contribute to, to a 529. And, and comparing plans themselves, like which one is better? So that is something that we talk about with clients is that, look, the state plans themselves is just something that the state at some point, your state, California, Nevada, wherever, signed up and said, hey, Vanguard, can you sponsor our plan? Now, does that really change anything? Well, some plans are a little bit more restrictive than others in terms of the way that the investments inside can be. So our advice tends to be, especially if you're in California, and I know on, on our Facebook stream, you could be watching all over the state, uh, all over the country, and you need to make sure, does the state actually give me any incentive to contribute to the state plan? So that's a question you should be asking. Because if the answer is no, like if I'm not getting any benefit, like a deduction or, or I don't know, some form of matching, then you know what? There's no advantage for you to use the state plan itself. 
in California, you could be here, set up a plan in New York, and the kid goes to school in Colorado. That's still a perfectly fine thing to do, right? Like California itself does not provide any state benefits for a 529. They don't do any deductions. And thus, I generally recommend, and I talk about to clients, it's like, well, what custodian do you want to use? Do you like Vanguard? Do you like Schwab? Like, who do you like? And you can set up the 529 through them. And sometimes it's as simple as that, picking who you like as the custodian itself. Going back to, 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 to the point of the myth, which is when I should be using the 529. Well, I think it's good to, to remember that if you're using, if you are the only one as parents, the only one that has the funding for the education, uh, and maybe you did save up 100%, like what you've saved up is now over what you think is needed for the, the education cost, then yes, absolutely go ahead and start using the funds because otherwise it's possible that by the end of the four-year college and if they don't go to grad school, those funds won't be all used up. If that's the case where it's not all used up, it doesn't mean you have to withdraw it and take penalties. You could shift that around under certain circumstances to other kids that you have, right? So there are ways to still use it for education without taking the funds out, not for education. Because that's where the issue is. If you take the funds out, not for education, there are some penalty tax penalties applied to that, okay? Now, if you are someone who has fortunate enough that grandparents contributed to the account, okay? And, and this comes into play because we've heard a lot of times clients saying, I shouldn't own the 529 under my name, maybe my, my grandparents are fortunate, or the, the kid has grandparents that are, are, are willing to contribute, I'll have them contribute. Of course, that's a good thing in itself, right? Having them contribute and having them save. But how that account shows up on financial aid calculations differs than if the account was in your name, okay? And if the account's in your name, it counts as your asset. And in the calculation of financial aid, they will multiply that by around 5%, 5 to 6% and add it to what you are expected to pay. Uh, but if it's under your grandparents' name, or, or I guess my parents' name, which is my daughter's grandparents, that doesn't show up right away in that calculation. So a lot of people are right, like putting that account or having that account in the grandparents' name doesn't affect the potential grants they may receive from a, fun, uh, from a financial basis, not from a merit basis, from a financial basis. Um, however, if you have that financial uh, 529 that is in your grandparents' name and you use it in the first year, like that's where you started pulling funds out of, all of a sudden the grant calculation change, changes drastically. They're going to be like, wait a minute, you had an account from a 529 from your grandparents that wasn't on what we call the effective family contribution calculation. Now we're going to penalize you up to 50% of what was distributed from that 529 against the calculation. So if you were getting grants, like let's say it happened to be in a position where you're getting grants because they were not counting that 529 from your grandparents and you used it in the first two years of college, then all of a sudden it affects your next two years of college and how the grants are applied again from a financial basis. So from that perspective, you actually need to properly order how you take out the funds. So let's say that you had some 529 saved you should take that out first because that would have been already part of the calculation and then maybe use the grandparents 529 in the, the last two years. Uh, why is there a two-year period? That's just how the calculation is run and, and looked at is that they have a two-year kind of lag and window. So it affects kind of a two-year 
period when you take that out. Okay. Um, and so the, 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 the idea around using it all right away, right? Like it doesn't matter what 529 funds you use. Again, that's actually not true. And you need to think about who owns the account. Is it the grandparents? Is it me? Right. How does that actually play a part into the calculation? So I talked a lot about a calculation and, 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 I, and I, I'll, I'll step, take a step back and, and actually identify what it means, right, to have this, what, it, what they call the EFC formula, right? Basically calculating if I have a 30-year 30 uh, uh, 30 cost, annual cost for a college, what are the parents uh, supposed to, quote unquote, supposed to contribute to the cost of it? So what they'll do is they'll take the total cost of 30K, subtract out 22 to 47% uh, of the parent's income, then subtract out a potential 5.5.5% of the parent's assets, looking at then maybe what kid's income is. So if a kid is making income, they'll actually consider 50% of that. And then if the kids have assets, they'll consider 20% of that. And that's why sometimes people say, don't put assets in your kid's name because it has a higher effect on this calculation. And that's true too. 20% of assets that is in the kid's name versus five and a half percent that is in the parent's name. But remember, you can run this calculation on your own. If you are maybe where a lot of our clients are in the Bay Area on the coast where you are making income, maybe the 22 to 47% of parents' income alone would have zeroed out the, the cost of education right there. And if that's the case, then it really doesn't matter how you're trying to manipulate that EFC calculation, you're not gonna be receiving any financial grants. I think it's, Pose to people that this calculation is complex. In fact, there's probably three or four variables in there. And just to get an estimate is a really good thing. So that's what I recommend. If you're out there thinking about my kid's about to go to college, I have all these different calculations, at least start with the basic calculation of understanding for the annual costs, how I'm being uh, expected to pay for some of this with my income and assets. And is there a leftover? Is there an amount there that says that maybe there are some subsidized loans and grants that could be helping with this, okay? So that's really the, the difference between the timing uh, and, and also answering the question about, right? I shouldn't save for 529 and grants. Again, it really depends on maybe your income level already offsets all of what you're expected to pay, right? And so you need to be very careful about that, okay? There's a lot more to 529 planning in general as well. But uh, I think this was a very good specific topic. So if anyone has any more uh, education questions, obviously feel free to reach out to us as a planning team. We're, we're happy to make it specific to you as well. Yeah, and, and again, you know, uh, to Nate's point, uh, what he started out with is actually really key is the philosophy around education saving, right? Yes, we talked a lot about the logistics, but he started with the philosophy and the philosophy itself is very key. The mentality about how you're saving, how you can uh, indicate that to your kids or not indicate that and setting expectations will really help with that as well. And that's part of what we talk about with our clients is, is part of the philosophy portion of it too, okay? Yeah. Awesome. Well, another great episode, Nate. I like that. I enjoyed that a lot, a little different topic. and. Um, you know, relevant to our to my two year old here and, and thinking about saving. <laughs> so what you told me is don't tell her we saved anything. I got you, right? We're gonna we're gonna go with <laughs> gonna go with that one. If uh, you told her already, I think she'll forget. Oh, I know. Right. It's, uh, yeah, she has a pretty good memory. I'm a little scared about it, right? so. Uh, <laughs> but you told me, Dad. <laughs> yeah. Uh, but again, thank you guys uh, for watching us on uh, Facebook page. Uh, we're gonna be excited to talk about. 
another Money Mythbusters episode uh, next week. And that's a little bit about spending methods. So credit cards, right? Credit cards being a dangerous method to spend. So we're going to talk a little uh, a bit about that. What's the best way to use credit cards is, I mean, how do we even think about credit card spending and how it should be approached for your budgeting styles, okay? Uh, that's actually gonna be episode 10 for us. So that's another milestone. We're excited for that. Uh, we look forward to seeing you guys next week at four. I'll see you in two weeks. <laughs> Thank you so much. <laughs>